Church family, before we begin, shall we bow our heads in prayer? O Lord, ancient of days, you who see us and know us down to our very last minute detail, grant that you would reveal the mind of Christ to us through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit and that your wisdom from on high would come and change our hearts. Lord, we pray and ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Friends, are you a people watcher? Uh, do you spend your time watching uh, people as life goes by? Uh, or maybe uh, online or on TV or on social media? You know, do you watch those uh, videos and, and do you wonder who these people are and what, uh, what their lives are like? What do you notice about them? <clears throat> what catches your eyes about them? Is it their good looks, their height, uh, their hair, or their lack of it? Uh, the way they carry themselves perhaps, or maybe if you're close enough to them, how they smell or how they sound, or um, especially when they speak or when they laugh. Today as we look at the text of 1 Samuel 16, I'd like us to consider a more crucial question. What does God look at or for when He sees us? I mean, if we try to make a good impression on others, especially those whom we like, shouldn't it be crucial of utmost importance then that we know what is the, what the most important being in this entire universe, God, not you, not me, not anyone else. What God looks at when He sees us. So let's uh, begin to look at this. Chapter 16, uh, verse 1, tells us that Samuel is mourning King Saul's failure to heed and obey God's commands. Now prior to this, in chapter 15, it tells how Israel was now being ringed. I mean, they were being circled by enemies and a war, a bitter war, was coming at them. Saul was another one in a long line of others that have uh, lived close to Samuel in his lifetime who had failed, failed to fear and obey God faithfully. There was Eli, uh, the high priest before Samuel, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, Eli's uh, two sons, Samuel's own sons, uh, Joel and Abijah, and now, King Saul. All of them looked promising at the beginning, but as time progressed, they didn't listen to God and they failed to faithfully follow God. So God was telling Samuel to set aside his sadness over the rejected King Saul and to set out to anoint a new king amongst the sons of Jesse in Bethlehem. Why there? I mean, can anything good come out of a place literally called House of Bread, Bethlehem? Or for that matter, can anything come out from the line of Jesse? Now, Jesse, if you recall, is the grandson to uh, Ruth and Boaz. Now, like Moses at the burning bush, Samuel objects, he, he protests, he remonstrates with God how dangerous this God-given mission would be. 
It was an act of treason against King Saul, and Samuel's hesitation shows how powerful and ruthless Saul had become, that even Samuel, a respected and powerful prophet, feared being killed if his intentions were found out. Not only that, the uh, the fallout, the fight between uh, Samuel and Saul was also public knowledge. And we see in uh, chapter 16, verse 4, uh, the elders of Bethlehem were trembling and asking Samuel whether he came in peace. Now that's a sign that they didn't want to be dragged into a conflict between the two of them. But God had his eyes on someone and uh, he provided a reason for Samuel to travel, a valid, acceptable reason, which was to make an offering, a sacrifice, uh, which was common and what uh, Samuel used to do. So Samuel went out to seek out the one who had caught God's attention. So let me make the first observation from uh, the text by drawing a contrast between uh, God's eyesight versus our eyesight, what we see. The NIV translation at the end of verse 1 says, I have chosen one of his sons to be a king. But a closer translation of the Hebrew text would actually be taken maybe from the English Standard Version, ESV or NRSV, uh, which provides, I have provided for myself a king from among his sons. Uh, chapter 16, verse 1. I've provided for myself a king among his sons. As an emphasis on the fact that God himself is doing this. So this is God's divine choice of a man after his own heart to be king. It is a fulfillment of Samuel's prophecy in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. Uh, it's a prophecy against Saul that the kingdom was being taken from him and would be given to a man after God's own heart. Not only that, uh, compare and contrast this verse 1 against the verse in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 22. Israel had rejected God as king. They had sinned by demanding to have a king of their own like the other nations to lead them uh, as king and also to fight their battles. It's a rejection of God. And so God says to Samuel in that particular verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 22, let them have a king. Let them have what they want. Now this is opposed to God himself now providing a king of his own choosing. So the Israelites, in their sinful hard-heartedness, got what they demanded. They got a king and they became like the other nations. But God, out of the kindness of his heart, saw to it, after King Saul, uh, that he would raise a king according to his heart rather than their desires. So Samuel arrives in Bethlehem and he sets about his task. He calls the elders in Bethlehem to consecrate themselves and invites them to the sacrifice. Then he consecrates Jesse and his sons in preparation for the sacrifice and he invites them also uh, to the sacrifice. And from verses 6 to 10, the parade for a potential king begins as they all pass one by one before Samuel. Now let me pause here to remind you of the question that I asked at the beginning. What do you look for 
or at when you are looking at someone? Now take that question further and put yourself in Samuel's shoes. What do you look out? Uh, what do you look at or for when you're looking out for a potential king? Uh, really think about it. Now, given Israel's current situation, uh, being at war, maybe uh, swordsmanship. You know, if you can fight and uh, destroy enemies uh, with your sword skill or. Uh, or knowledge of warfare or strategy, uh, physical strength like Samson, uh, political connections, you know, your ability to weave yourself in all these complex uh, political negotiations, mental ability, ability to command respect and obedience or loyalty that people would follow him to the death. Now, you add your own list to that. Samuel had his own criteria. And, and verse 6 says that Samuel is impressed with the outward, outward appearance of Eliab, the first uh, eldest. And he thought to himself, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And even as he, as he had that thought, even as that thought strayed into Samuel's mind, God's reply comes, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. And verse 7 continues saying, People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now if you forget everything else that I say during this uh, sermon, remember that. The Lord looks at the heart. So that's uh, the answer to the question at the beginning, but let's take it a little further and dig a little deeper. The heart in Jewish understanding is the seat of emotions, thought and will. It's a combination of many things. It's not really about a physical organ, uh, although in, in the Jewish understanding the heart was actually referring uh, to the liver. But it is uh, in a spiritual sense or an emotional sense the center of uh, emotion, thought, and will. It is a reflection, the heart is a reflection of the personality and character of a person. Their faithfulness, loyalty, courage, the essence of who they are. Not what they look like or who they pretend to be. This is also a good place to remind ourselves of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Or again, in Matthew chapter 15 and Mark chapter 7, that it is out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Now, we're very familiar with this. The center of the heart, you know, uh, we, we talk about this, the, the, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. All these common terms. And what is it about the heart? Well, we know that in this particular passage we're looking at, God, what God is looking at is beyond our eyesight. He looks at the heart. And when He looks at the disabled, the orphaned, the poor, the disfigured, or the rich, the beautiful, and the outwardly successful. He does not 
see what we are looking at. He doesn't see the way we do. So maybe we should pay more attention to what he does look at. And when you look at others, take time to ask yourself, what does their heart look like? What does their heart look like? Not their padded CVs or their polished exterior or what their outside looks like. What does their heart look like? And yes, it takes time. It takes time to get to know a person's heart because it's hidden. The heart is hidden underneath many masks. So maybe we need to make the time uh, have a heart-to-heart talk with them or to observe and ask ourselves, what does God see in their heart? What do we see out of their hearts? It's their thoughts, their feelings, their desires, their ambitions. And then let me ask you this question. When was the last time you had a long, hard look at your own heart? Your thoughts, your feelings, your desires, your ambitions, what and who you care for. I admit that I, sometimes in the busyness of life, often fail to look into my heart. And when I pause and I take a moment to look into my heart, I realize sometimes how troubled and how stormy my heart can be. And so if God were to look at your heart or my heart right now, what would He see? Would he see someone who was after God's own heart? His own very heart. Let's get back to to, uh, the story in Samuel. One by one, the sons paraded before Samuel. None passed the scrutiny of their hearts until there was no one left. Or was there? There was one left. And he was the unassuming younger son, the one that is tending the sheep. And we see that in 1 Samuel chapter 6, verse 11. It's David. David was a shepherd boy. No fancy job title. Uh, he was number 8, youngest amongst the boys. But this is what Asaph, the psalmist, uh, wrote in Psalm 78. It's a simple fact that David shepherded them. Israel, with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. We find this in Psalm 78, verse 72. So what do we observe out of this? Well, one important thing is age, title, and position isn't a barrier to leading others. Now, I want to make a point here. I'm not saying that you have to be young like David. I'm saying age, whether young or old. Your title, your age, your position isn't a barrier to leading others. What it takes, though, is one who shepherds with integrity of heart and skillful hands to make it possible. So we must ask the next obvious question. What does it mean to have Integrity of heart. Other translations state, a person uh, has integrity of heart when they are trustworthy, upright, true, pure, good, caring. Uh, let's, uh, Let's look at an example. Let's look at another person with integrity of heart. Jesus. 
Jesus himself did not appear to have extraordinary stature or outward features to have identified himself as outstanding and destined for greatness. He came across as a simple son of a carpenter. But his heart showed that uh, showed us what God's love was all about. Uh, and he was a shepherd to his disciples, and to you and me as well, I think. And he was skilled in the way he taught and lived his life as an example to others. So I need to remember that at the age of 12, he was uh, speaking to the people at the temple and they marveled at how much wisdom he has. Skill, wisdom, capability, capacity. Now, throughout the Bible, in both the Old and the New Testament, the imagery of the shepherd has been used as a measuring stick for biblical leadership. David himself calls the Lord his shepherd. Psalm 23, a favorite for many of us. And Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. It may be well worth our time in studying what is it God sees in shepherds or the act of shepherding that God uses the metaphor of shepherd for himself. Would those under you say that you shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, you led them. It's also very important for us to remember that in all our shepherding, that these are not our sheep. Yes, not even your own kids. They are God's sheep. We are merely under shepherds to Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for them. Would you be a good shepherd? That brings me to the third observation. It's about God's Spirit. Now, if you're going to choose someone to follow, then choose someone with integrity of heart and, and a big and there, skillful hands. Skillful hands. Don't forget that part. There's no point being all passion and heart, but not having the capacity, capability or skills to back it up. But of course, you'd be asking, where do we get skillful hands? Uh, part of it would come from our own development. All the time that we take in training ourselves and developing ourselves and, and putting ourselves uh, to work in doing God's good work. But really, to accomplish God-sized missions and God's calling, one needs God-sized empowering and infilling. Let me say that one more time. To accomplish God-sized missions and God's calling, one needs God-sized empowering and infilling. So God pours His Spirit into those whom He calls. Those whom God calls, He empowers. We go back to seeing what 1 Samuel teaches us. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. Having been anointed with oil, uh, verse 13 records that the Spirit of God comes upon David after this. This is the same term that is used uh, in Judges and also what happens to Saul. The Spirit of God comes powerfully, mightily upon, uh, upon David. <clears throat> uh, we need to recognize that it is a divine anointing. A divine anointing. 
it is uh, a shaping and a preparation, a formation of one whom God has called to do God's will with a God-sized mission to rescue His people. It is a divine anointing because God is present and working through Samuel, the prophet. And David comes to the sacrifice at God's invitation through Samuel. Now let's remember that even as we partake of the Lord's table later on. We need to remember at the Lord's table, the words of the invitation uh, should ring in our ear as you hear Christ, our Lord, invites to His table all who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Christ, our Lord, He's the one who is inviting us. So we come to the table at God's invitation and God is present. His Holy Spirit transcends time, space and the interface, whether it's online or physical. And for that reason, we take very seriously that God is present even at our online Holy Communion later on. So the Holy Spirit shapes David, prepares him for the task that the Lord has for him. It also equips him with the needed skills to lead the people of Israel. Saul had experienced the same too. And so did the judges like uh, Samson. But where Samson and Saul were trying to use God's anointing and God's God-given gifts for their own selfish purposes, David would be wholeheartedly, willingly used by God. And even when he sinned, so it's not to say that he is uh, more perfect and sinless, even when he sinned, as Saul did, he would repent. He would repent in his heart, and he would return to God and surrender to God's will. Likewise, the Holy Spirit that indwells in you can shape, prepare, equip, and empower us and you to do His will, if you would abide in Him and be pure at heart. So let me summarize the points that we made in order to go forward. What do we need to know about this? I'd like you to know that you need to attend to your heart. God is looking at it and He's looking for one who has a heart after God's own heart. Two, be a good shepherd as the Lord is our shepherd. Would you lay down your life for those whom He had put in your care? And will you do this? Would you go and abide in the Holy Spirit? He indwells you. He's the one who empowers you and He's the one who equips you. And where He, where he empowers, where He sends, He equips and He supplies. We know another one who was called the son of David. He too was from Bethlehem. He too was known as the Good Shepherd and he too had the power of the Holy Spirit upon him, but more so in dwelling in him and going forth before him. This is none other than Jesus Christ, who is of the line of David. He was despised and rejected by many, and rejected as a king by his own people. But Jesus Christ is the king that God himself has chosen from the line of Jesse from the line of David. Unlike David, Jesus 
never sinned, and though he knew what it was to be tempted. And beyond David, Jesus had a heart that was filled with God's love and was obedient to God's will, a king who was a man after God's own heart. And his kingdom will never end. He is my Lord, my King, my Saviour and my Redeemer. And in the words of William Rees who wrote the hymn, Here is Love, he says, Here is love, vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the Prince of Life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Of thy fullness thou art pouring thy great love and power on me, without measure, full and boundless, drawing out my heart to him. My earnest prayer is that his heart of love draws you into him too, and that you transform into the man or woman after God's own heart. Dear friends and family, if at any time during this service you feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to respond in confession or prayer, or to ask Jesus into your heart, do please drop us a note. You can do so by sending us a message or a request for prayer or salvation on the Live app, or email care at penangtrinity.org. We would love to share God's heart of love with and for you.